Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them. And easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Rise Together podcast. I am joined by a friend, a New York Times bestselling author, and someone who is shouting the worth of people who deserve their worth shouted every single day. Her name is Heather Avis. She and her husband, Josh, good friends of mine, and the work they do, well, specifically the work that Heather is doing every single day with the lucky few, it is literally changing the world. I am excited to tell everyone here that she has a new book that has just come out. It's called Everyone Belongs. It's uh, the follow-up to her New York Times bestselling children's book, and uh, we're going to talk about it, the importance of inclusion, and everything else. Without further ado, please welcome Heather Avis to the Rise Together podcast. Hi, Heather. Welcome to Rise Together. My name's Dave Hollis. I'm the host of this show where we're going to hopefully have you feeling a little more normal in this, the human experience. Maybe see yourself even in some of the stories that are told or have your appreciation of what it means to be human expanded by someone who's come on as a guest who's had a different life experience. In all of it, we are trying our best in community to learn from each other, to grow, and maybe even have a little bit more compassion for what it's like to walk in each other's shoes. When we do, we all rise together. Hi, Dave. Thanks for that intro. What an intro. Hi, well, friends. I don't, I don't know that I got deep enough. Uh, oh. I love you. I love the work oh, that you love do. You. I love your husband. I want to hug him in real time. I don't know why yeah. he's not on camera so I can see his beautiful <laughs> face. But I just, I just am so inspired by the work that you are doing on the every single day. And before we get further, I mean, let's start with, uh, I did give an intro, but I'd love for you to just give anyone who is not yet familiar with you, with your work, kind of your story and why you find yourself called into this space, whether it's inclusion or Down syndrome, or belonging, and um, and why you do the things that you do. Yeah, I'll try to keep it try to keep it brief, seeing that this is a short podcast and not a two hour movie. Make it as long as you'd like, Heather. <laughs> We're here for um, you. I love it. Thank you. So let's see. We can go back to so Josh, um, who you mentioned. He and I we just celebrated twenty years of marriage, which is wild, unbelievable. And yeah, we have three kids. Um, all of our kids, it's a very long story, but they all came to us through adoption. Our oldest and our youngest have Down syndrome. My husband, myself, my oldest and youngest, we're all Caucasian. Our middle daughter does not have Down syndrome. She's African-American and Guatemalan. And so we are a transracial, multi-ability family. 
And so our oldest daughter, her name is Macy, and she is now 14 years old, which is also wild. And all of our kids came home as babies. So when Macy entered our lives, everything changed forever and for the better. Um, she is, as is the case with having a kid, and it has been with all of our kids, but Mason, being my first kid, a little girl with Down syndrome, did a lot of health issues. Um, she started to, she became an invitation for me to really question the narrative around who she is as a person with Down syndrome, the narrative that society has created around her, which is one that is often, if not always, has a negative lean. It's scary. It's bad. It's other. It's less than. It's half human. It's how do we make them be more like people who don't have Down syndrome or you poor sweet soul or wow, what an angel. It's it's dehumanizing. Yeah. And I've got this incredible little girl who's fully human as she is with Down syndrome. And she's worthy of being in any space she wants to be in. And so it just kind of unfolded, like probably from my mama bear heart more than anything of step realizing that when she steps outside her front door, she's stepping into a world that questions her value and worth. Um, and when she steps into any space, she has to work 10 times as hard to be seen as half as much. And so that's not cool because not only does she not deserve that, but who she is as a person with Down syndrome has really challenged a lot of my ideas about what it means to be human um, in all the right ways. And yeah. so then that that pushed us towards towards me just standing up more as an advocate in the space, um, writing about it, challenging narratives that I don't think fit, challenging systems that definitely don't work uh, through writing and just showing up in spaces. And we launched a business called The Lucky Few, meaning few of us have a loved one with Down syndrome. Those of us who do are very lucky because what I also learned early on is I was meeting parents for raising a child with Down syndrome who had a similar experience of before they loved someone with Down syndrome, Down syndrome equaled something bad or less or not, at least not great or not for me, you know, yeah. and then they have this kid and there's a journey for everybody to go on, but they get to the other side where they feel so lucky to love a person with Down syndrome. So yeah. where's that miss, right? Like who is telling the stories? It's not us, those of us who love someone with Down syndrome, because it's a different story we're living. So how do we tell those stories? So we essentially started a nonprofit or an organization called The Lucky Few. We have a nonprofit wing. And we just tell the story around Down syndrome. We do it through a podcast, through what I write. We take pictures of people and we've created a platform for others to come in and share their stories about loving someone with Down syndrome. And we do it all in hopes of shifting the Down syndrome narrative. I love it. How Well, I mean, this is not about the book. We're going to get to the book. But sure. <laughs> how, was, how was the roadie? How was the road trip? I mean, uh, part of what the Lucky Few team just did was take this idea of storytelling of communities that Down syndrome love exists in and representing what it is to just be in life, not like idealized life, but just life to try and normalize some of what it means to have a person with Down syndrome as a part of your family, as a part of your workplace. You were out on the road. How was the road trip? The road trip was, it really was great. I I can say that because it was, but also at the end, we were gone for a month with our, our whole family of five. And that's lots of different places. We traveled that whole time. So lots of different beds that we slept in and places to be. And, um, and not real fancy. It wasn't like a five-star trip, you know, resort trip. It was very <laughs> much a work trip. But we, at the end of it, Josh and I, my husband and I were both like, okay, if tomorrow we had to go out for another month, this sounds wild because we just were gone for a month, but I would I would be so excited to do this do wow. this for another month. So that's that I think communicates that it was great. 
That's amazing. Did, did well too. Yeah, we interacted with um, probably 250 people in that time who love a person with Down syndrome or people who have Down syndrome. And really, it's just an op- we wanted to create a platform and an archive of stories that tell the bigger picture, even in a way that anybody can see themselves in the narrative. So telling it diversely in terms of race and socioeconomic and life experience and age for people with Down syndrome. And and so we we got to just meet all these incredible people and hear their stories and we captured their photos. We met some really, really great photographers who came in and took beautiful portraits of everyone. And all of that is now in our, in our care, <laughs> all of that yeah. content. And now it's a matter of getting it out into the world in a way that is um, beautiful and user-friendly. So it's important to tell the whole story because there is this narrative that I said, like this negative narrative, there's almost a two ends of it. It's like Down syndrome, oh, I'm so sorry. Or Down syndrome, what an angel. And both are dehumanizing because it doesn't see the full scope of a person with Down syndrome as human. So let's tell the stories. You know, yes, let's celebrate the big, amazing things. Let's celebrate the heroes. Let's do that. But also let's celebrate the person who like went to school today because that's pretty great, you know, or like who woke up. Let's also celebrate the fact that someone woke up today and see that person as fully human. They don't have to run a marathon to be celebrated. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Well, it's interesting because we met by attending a similar church, not similar church, the same church that <laughs> had its, as, as kind of a, as its mission, the idea of creating intersectionality between different people to try and maybe more than anything, show how some, how much similarity there is between all of us and maybe sitting in a chair next to someone as you're trying to kind of reach for the same thing in faith that gives you permission to see those similarities. But mm. I wish everyone had an opportunity to just hang out with Mason because man, you'd, you know, if you have a perception of anything around Down syndrome, that is anything negative, it would be immediately different because of just, you know, having proximity, having exposure, having time to see what in fact you're putting on display with the storytelling that you do, the humanity that is, yeah, oh, by the way, there is this component that also happens to be Down syndrome, but that's a single piece of this tapestry of this individual human being. How important is it to, you know, either do life with or create proximity to or understand storytelling for someone to maybe have some of what they have already had in storytelling reframed so that they can see the picture in a different way? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's everything. I think in any in any group or capacity or space where anybody is different we can't know what we don't know right and so you can't just like fault everybody you're raised up with certain ideas and certain experiences and certain proximities to certain kinds of people society's telling you one thing you know like all these different you're getting information from so many different places about people but maybe never from them so relationship is it's everything it's everything and proximity you can't have relationship without proximity Um, And so I do think that when it comes to disability in general, the narrative is in the United States, especially, and we can go all the way back and figure out where it started, you know, almost where it started and historically see why it's there and why we're at where we're at and how things need to change. But it is such a harmful 
idea, but mostly because so many people lack proximity to people with a disability and that relationship piece. And so how do you, how do you have that? If you, how do you have the relationship without proximity, you know? And I think your, your best, your luckiest option is to be able to be in a genuine relationship with a person who is different than you and with a person who has Down syndrome or disability, with a person who's a different ethnicity or different race than you are. That's your best bet for growing in what I, what I like, what Mason's done for me. Um, it's an invitation into seeing the intrinsic value and worth in people as they are, period, yeah. full stop. You know, not if they do or when they do. It's no, who you are, as you are, you have so much value and worth because you are a human being. And, and Mason's invited me in into that space because I'm her mom and then all the different people in our lives who have disabilities or have different, who are different than us, inviting us into that space to see that. And I think what that does is it disarms us. So it's like, wait a second. I can just show up as me. Yeah. Oh my gosh, what a relief. Because everything out here in society is telling me that if I don't do A, B, C, and D, then I'm actually suck, you know? And so then we're striving, striving, everyone's miserable. It's like, no, just be who you are. Just show yeah. up. And when we, yeah, I think that those, the relationship and the proximity is an invitation into, into that. Come into as you that. Are. I mean, that's yeah. what everybody wants. No matter what, you know, level of ability you have, you want to just be able to be yourself and be loved for who you are and not what yeah. you've done or how you've conformed or what you've shaped, shifted into whatever it might be. Representation feels like a super important thing, both for people inside the community to see themselves, but also maybe, and this is where I'm interested in your perspective, in in, a, in an instance where someone doesn't have access to that relationship or proximity, potentially normalizing something that may for them currently be abnormal, different, or weird. One of the last videos that your husband sent me is one of the greatest videos I've ever seen in my entire life of your son running toward a billboard Features <laughs> like this where Gap has uh, featured your three small humans in one of their ads as a part of their campaign all around this idea of belonging. And I am here for it. But um, tell me a little bit about just the experience of getting to watch your own people see themselves in something in the mass market, but also what it means for others inside of the community, but also mm -hmm. maybe what it means for those outside of it as well. Yeah. Oh gosh, there's so much to, to talk about there. I mean, the moment of the kids running and seeing themselves or me seeing my kids in, in the front window of Gap, Gap Kids, you know, every Gap Kids store in the nation has a poster filling up the size of their window with my three kids on it. It's so exciting. It's so exciting. And it's a thrill and a joy. And then there's like this moment of like, this is really special and important even though it might not ever be pointed to as such by most people who pass by. Yeah. But most people who pass by have never seen a sibling set like this. A lot of people have passed by. This might be their first experience with a person with Down syndrome. And what it communicates to them is people with Down syndrome are can be represented by a brand like Gap, which is one of the largest global clothing brands, you know, yeah. um, for kids especially. I don't know. I don't know a larger global children's clothing brand than Gap. They're making a claim that these kids who are different, whose society has said belong somewhere else. No, they belong here too. Yeah, they belong here. That means that you belong here. And so it's huge because representation for disability, you're seeing it more and more for sure in the last like 10 years. But we got a long ways to go to where it's no longer like an extra special thing. It's yeah. just the thing, you know, and we're not quite there yet, but there's no. big. 
big strides being made. Yeah. Now it feels like a big deal to me. I know I have bias because of how much I love your kids, but like <laughs> seeing their reaction, knowing what it might mean for the person who even on a subconscious level doesn't even necessarily recognize what they're meant to recognize. The hope is that with enough exposure like that, it becomes something that changes something on that subconscious level that says, oh yeah, they're as welcome and important and worthy of shopping in this store as anyone else is because they're kids, they're humans. Yeah. They, as much access as my own do. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, if I can share real quick about the Gap thing, we we had pitched this idea with my children's book coming out, Everyone Belongs, that the Gap does a, their entire back to school campaign, Everyone Belongs, and they picked it up. They said yes. And so what that meant is that they were not only inviting my two kids with Down syndrome into the campaign, but all kinds of different people with different disabilities. We had a chance to talk to some of the decision makers up, up high in those high levels at Gap about how this is the very, they've never had a cast like this before with this diverse in terms of disability and how Gap has, it might have its issues. People, people listening might have qualms against Gap and I get it, you know, like nobody's perfect. But in this regard, they have been a leader. It's interesting as a brand, how you have an opportunity to lead in a way that you want to. And it can be a risk because you're also going to get pushback or an audience might not like it even if they don't realize they don't like it or they might be verbal about it. So like Gap's been a huge leader in the LGBTQ community in creating inclusion in that space. They've got, they've been great with being racially inclusive, body type inclusive, you know? And so it was really exciting to hear them say like, this is the most people that we have cast with disabilities in one campaign at one time. And I feel, I feel so proud of that because what it means for the kid with Down syndrome who sees himself and there's a boy who has two prosthetic limbs, you know? And those kids who are going to see themselves in the wheelchair user and the girl with the limb difference who has one arm. I mean, it's just all this like, yes, let's have more of that so that everybody sees that everybody belongs. So good. Well, the first book that you put out inside of this kid space, for those that don't know, was called Different, A Great Thing to Be. The featured star of said book was Mason, your oldest mm -hmm. daughter. As much as there was, yes, a story of a whole host of difference that was awesome in and of itself. You mentioned your middle daughter, Truly, who is amazing also, happens to be African-American, and in this tapestry that is your family, is also someone who is interested in a seat at the table, is interested mm -hmm. in being seen as equal and as um, worthy of every and any opportunity that your children with disabilities might also be. And that led to the second book, which is called Everyone Belongs. Tell us a little bit about the inspiration to write it and what you'd hope for someone to get from reading it. Yeah. So the inspiration, I mean, it's definitely my kids. Um, it's about two girls who put on a show and in the park and other kids wander up and wonder if they can be a part of this show. The book itself, it's not like this exact thing happened to us, but my kids, it's very on brand for them to put on a show. This is what they do. They'll be on any stage they can find at a park, you know, like a, like a big open air theater or whatever. They'll be on the stage. So that's very much what they're all about. And it's been really neat watching Truly, she's 11 now, navigate being a sibling to two siblings who have Down syndrome, um, being the only family, only person in the family with black skin and curly hair and how she feels different in that and how we have conversations about that and how she navigates it, how she has so far in her, in her sweet little life and how that has like it, it's made her, she talks about like doing the right thing and being bold and making good choices. And, um, she notices others in a way that I think is really unique to her. 
So it was it was just easy to write a story about sisters deciding to go do something fun. And that was it. That was their decision. And then when opportunities opened up for them to invite others into it, but they were going to have to bend and stretch, it was a it was a real natural lean that for them, like for someone like Truly to she's a leader in every sense of the word. And so for her to be written as a character who's going to lead this show and be, she's got a clipboard in her hand and she's telling people where to go and people are like, what do we do next? And she's saying, this is what we do next. And it's all, it's mostly on her to make sure that this is a show that all the kids can, can be a part of. And she does a great job. There's something about belonging that just is like at the core of, you know, I want to argue just like one of the most basic needs that we have as humans, this desire to belong, to be part of the inside, not outside. And uh, so much of I think of our behavior is in some ways a reflection of whether we feel like we do or feel like we don't. If a parent who's listening right now has a kid that they are trying to raise well, and their kid observes someone who is on the outside of belonging, what would you say to them? How can they encourage their kid to be kind or reach out to that person who may not feel welcome or included in a way that allows them a sense of belonging? Yeah, I think you start with something super simple and it's literally, hi, what's your name? And you make that first step and introduce yourself and ask someone their name and then invite someone into your space. So if you're at the park, invite the person to play, invite the person to be a part of whatever it is that you're doing. If it's at school, inviting them to be a part of what you're doing. And sometimes it's not going to just be like, oh, hi, I'm so-and-so. Yeah, let's play. Sometimes there'll be some resistance. There might be some language barriers. There might be some mobility differences, things like that. So it really is talking to your kids about the awareness of seeing people, stepping towards them, and then being creative. You know, like the, I always, our experience has been for, for certain situations and social, especially to work for our kids, the onus is on them. It's on us. Shift, change, bend, flex so that you can now fit in. So how do we teach our kids? And I think it is, we tell them, what can we do to shift and change? You really love playing basketball over here. That's awesome. And I want you to have that. But this kid can't play basketball. What if instead, what could we do instead? Could we play Foursquare? Could we do something else? And it's not forever. Yes, you can still play basketball. But what's something else that we can do to take a step towards that person who might not fit in as easily, whether it's like emotionally or physically or um, cognitively? I... uh... I'm sure that you have run into this more than anyone deserves. And maybe maybe you haven't, but when my kids aren't included, when my kids are told they're not invited or not, you know, they don't belong. Um, I My first question is, what's the address of this? <laughs> I'd like to go and fight them. And then I like talk myself down and make more rational choices. But, <laughs> like, how do you handle a kid with obvious hurt feelings who's had an experience in not being on the inside or being told that they aren't, you know, aren't included or invited in whatever it is that's happening on that day. Oh my gosh. I mean, Dave, seriously, I'm like in therapy about it. Um, <laughs> this is one of the top, like, cause that's my thing. That was me as a child. That's my, that is my childhood wound um, in all seriousness. No, but it's, it is heart wrenching to see it. And you just like, there's moments too, where you just hope your kid doesn't know, but our kids always know. They always know they're so in tune. Um, and I, I know my kids with down syndrome. I think a lot of kids with disabilities, their emotional IQ is so high and they are so in tune with what they're involved in and what they're excluded from. So I think it's really important as parents that we just join them. We sit with them in it. So for me, it is saying to my kids, Oh, that is so 
hard. I hear that you feel so hurt or I see that you feel so hurt. I'm so sorry. You know, I think that, that yeah, our inclination might be like, you're saying like, I'm going to go to this place and I'm going to fight for this thing. And I think that maybe there are times and places for that, but I think validating our kids. Yeah, this is really, this, this is really hard. And then honestly, there's, we have made the decision as a family, mostly Josh and I, we have made the decision to pull kids from things or to not go to certain places because our children should not have to experience rejection all the time yeah, and blatantly or not. Right. And so I think that as a parent too, that, that it's okay to say, we're actually not going to go to the space anymore, whether it's a class or whatever. And you can tell your kid as much or as little as you think, whatever their age is or where they're at cognitively, what they can hear and try to find another place. But it, but it is, Parents raising kids with disability, there's a lot of isolation. We find it, we find ourselves isolated a lot. It's a real common, a real common feeling because it is there aren't a lot of spaces set up where our children are celebrated and embraced as they are. Yeah. yeah. I can't imagine. For the record, let me just say I've been in one fight in my entire life. <laughs> Last day of school, <laughs> high school, I used a water squirt gun and hit somebody named Jim's truck. It was white, it was water. And he oh punched me in the ear. It did turn black. I didn't swim <laughs> back. That was the end of the only fight I've been in, just okay. again, for the record. Um, clarity. <laughs> what, what's, what's crazy is, I've heard you say this, that your kids enter every day a world that questions their value and worth, which is like, is heartbreaking because my kids don't. Like there's privilege in the world that my kids get to walk into that doesn't question their value or worth in the way that the world might question theirs. And I'm sure that, you know, value and worth is a pretty common struggle for a lot of parents who are dealing with kids that find themselves kind of wrestling with, am I good enough? Or am I trying hard enough? Or am I accepted enough? How are you, like, what parenting habits are you doing that reinforces their value when sometimes the world or their peer circle or whatever it might be is pushing back against it so that they know that they are valuable, that they are worthy, irrespective of what someone else or some society might say? Yeah. A privilege that we have in our home is that our kids come into a home where they feel safe all the time, no matter what. They feel known and they feel safe. And not all kids have that. And some kids might be in spaces where systemically or institutionally they they have those privileges, but they're going, they don't want to go home at the end of the day, you know? So that is really the most in our control. And I think if you're a parent listening, it is like it is so powerful to be able to create an environment where your kid, when they come home, they know that it doesn't matter what mistakes they made. It doesn't matter what anybody on the outside world has said to them or how they've treated them. They are coming into a safe place where they can take risks, where they can be wrong. Um, so to communicate to them in the ways that we do just overtly and in the, the things that we bring into our lives, like the books that we read and the shows that we watch and the people in our home, you know, like that, that people are, when they are here, they never question whether yeah. they're value valuable or whether they have worth or whether they're good enough. I mean, that's just not a thing that we do in our home. Um, and honestly, Dave, I think if Macy wasn't my oldest, I think as parents, we can be real, even, even in creating a safe space, it's real tempting to like push our kids to be more. And it is a, it is a balance, you know, cause you want your kid to be their best, but I think there's a difference. I think it's nuanced in, am I going to push my kid to be their best? or the best that I hope for them. And it's different, right? It's different. And so what Mason has said is, 
hey, I actually don't give a rip about the best that you think is best for me. This is who I am. So it's like, that's been my lesson in the 14 years of parenting her. That is the gift. It is the gift because then I can, and I don't, and I get it wrong all the time, right? I get it wrong all the time. But again, then I say, sorry. And then we move forward. And so I see my kids without them having to do one more thing, all three of them, not one more thing, not one better grade, one better sport, one more ounce of anything. They are so good as they are. And they don't have to do one more thing for me to love and cherish them. So and, good. yeah, and then we move forward. Like, and what if you tried this thing? Yeah, but because foundationally they know if they fail, it's they have a safe place to come to. So yeah. we're trying. We're trying. Oh, I love it. It's so interesting. I can remember before I had kids, my vision of what it was going to be like to have them, especially as I had boys. There was so much in sports because of my upbringing with my dad, who was the coach of my soccer and my baseball and whatever else was happening and. I got Jackson into baseball. I got Jackson into soccer. That kid didn't want to put on a uniform for 10 seconds. <laughs> he had no interest in running. And like, to be honest, I had to kind of grieve a little bit of yeah. what vision for what I thought it was going to be at, you know, like four or five years old to have a kid who just loved sports, didn't love sports. And now of my four kids, I've got two that love them and mm-hmm. two that could care less, but in their caring less, they found other things that they care deeply for And I like, you know, whenever anyone asks for advice on anything relating to parenting, I always kind of come back to like, find your kids the thing they love and let them pour into it. But, Mm -hmm. you know, if I stayed rigid in, you're going to be a sports person, man, I would have missed the beauty in what happens when there's creativity in in musical theater or, you know, I mean, Ford loves anything in nature and creativity as well. Like they just get to, again, be themselves and in that actualize something that's far more meaningful than my vision of who I'd hope they'd be when I was little. I just, I, I love it. So good. Yeah. Yeah. When you think about your own vision for what you thought your family was going to look like back in the day, <laughs> you know, I'm sure that this, you know, adopting or adopting children with special needs or adopting a child who happens to be of a different race was a part of a vision that you had when first you were married 20 years ago. I'm curious how your parenting style or your journey through adoption is something that because of the circumstances that presented is different now than what it was at the beginning or how it maybe has shaped your humanity as you've kind of gone through what life has handed you and and done so in a really beautifully beautiful way. Yeah, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. It's like it's kind of like if you go back to your if I went back to my 24-year-old self struggling with infertility what would I say to her, you know, and yeah. um, what would I want for her? And it's a silly question because you got to go through the things to get to where you are, right? She had to go through it. She had to have her experiences. But if I would have seen a picture of my family and it was like, that's your family, I would have been devastated. Like, what are you talking about? That's my family. You know, like, obviously I, one of those kids I didn't give birth to, I don't know about the other two, but they have Down syndrome, two kids with disability. This is not the, this is not my plan. And it wasn't my plan. And so it was um, opportunities arose that I got to step into. And at the time it didn't feel like opportunity. It felt like a tragedy, you know, but, but you learn and grow and step towards the thing that is meant for you. And, um, that was what happened here. And so it, yeah, Macy, all of my kids have taught me so much, but she was the game changer. Um, she really flipped upside down for me. So many of my ideas that I was holding on to so tightly. And in my twenties, I knew everything, you know, like I, there was nothing I didn't know. And so that was also (laughs) playing into uh, factoring into it, but she, she just rewrote so many 
harmful narratives. And I think the biggest of all is that the narratives are constantly being rewritten. Like learning and growing for life is a good thing. To say, I don't know yet, is good. And to and then to say, and I want to know more is a really good thing. And I think there, that, that I had to learn that and she's taught me that a lot. And then in terms, even, even with that, like in terms of adoption, oh my gosh, Dave, who I was when I started the adoption process about 16 years ago, it, sorry, not who I was. I have changed a lot, but my ideas about adoption have yeah. shifted 180. Like I'm walking the opposite direction of the direction I was walking towards. And this can be a whole other podcast, but part of that is because I'm willing to be wrong. I'm willing to say I have more to learn. I'm willing to sit with people who are different than me with adult adoptees and hear their experience and not dismiss it because it makes me uncomfortable, but lean in to the discomfort because there's something there for me to still learn and grow from. And so that's changed my thoughts and ideas around adoption. Yeah. Being around adoptees, you know, adult adoptees hearing hearing them talk about it. And I'll continue to be committed to learning and growing and becoming better. Yeah. Whatever that looks like. You're so great. You know what I love sometimes? <laughs> this is going to be this is such a weird thing to say out loud. I don't know why I just thought of it, but like I love a Heather Avis rant. Because like there, there, no, no, you haven't, no, you haven't <laughs> I even, had a few. You haven't even given a taste of what's possible. But like part of what's amazing when you work inside of what I'd argue is advocacy and trying to like draw attention to something that deserves attention is like you tend to get people who don't have a full picture or context or whatever saying stupid things that sometimes require a little more impassioned voice. And you have access to it in a way that makes some of your stories some of my favorite. Not that you're enjoying <laughs> yourself in the middle of like trying to explain to somebody who just doesn't understand how freaking hard it is to try and have the world welcome your children the way that their children are already welcomed. I hope you never lose that because it's one of my, Same. it's like, I, I know that it's freaking frustrating for you, but it's one of my favorite parts of who you are because you just can feel the fire and the passion that lives just under the surface. Just under the surface. Well, thank you for saying that. I receive it. And <laughs> and yes, I've had, I don't know, I've refined it over the years, I guess. I don't know. I'm more um, saying like, there. I think there's a space for the unrefined version. Sure. Doses don't, I would, I would, you know, whatever. I just am hoping that you don't judge it in a way that makes it not show up every once in a while because I freaking love a fired up you. Thanks. Thank You're you. Welcome. <laughs> uh, all right. What are you, what are you working on next? Like what's, I mean, I, this, this book, by the way, it's coming out on the ninth, mm -hmm. the ninth day of August. Like it's here. It, it's, you know, it, I think we're going to have this come out on the 11th day of August. So it's two days out. you got to get this book right now. It's called everyone belongs. You can literally buy it anywhere that books are sold. Um, but what do you, what's, what's next for the Avis? What's next for you? You know, Dave, in the, um, spirit of learning and growing, I don't know what I'm doing in life. Just <laughs> I laugh, but also who knows? No, I am working on another children's book. And so there's a book coming out sometime. It's not anytime soon because it's still in my heart and head and not completely fleshed out on paper about a little boy named August. As um, it should be. Yes. Who also has found spaces where it's hard, just hard to be him in those spaces. And so he tries to avoid them. And how do we... How do we come full circle there with him? So that is on my heart is to find space to do that. Right now yeah. I am launching a book and you know how that, that is. It's pretty That's all, all you're doing. That's all you're doing right now. Yeah. 
and raising kids and back to school. And, you know, the day after the book launches is the first day of school. So it's also like haircuts and physicals and, you know, all, and all, all of it, all the goodness. So we're doing this storytelling with the Lucky Few Foundation. And that is really important to us too. And how that it's this trip that we talked about earlier, this tour was really like planting seeds. So it feels exciting and a little bit annoying that we don't know exactly what's next. It's that there's a, we're, we're the seed in the soil right now and there's yeah. darkness and w- there's something great on the horizon. And we're working on a documentary right now, a feature documentary with some friends. That's just a big dream that we're really excited about. We, we believe in it wholeheartedly. Yeah. So we're doing some stuff. I have a podcast. We got all kinds of things going on. <laughs> Here's the thing. Like you guys have been the model of having faith since I've met you. Oh, I don't know that you've always had an exact idea of where the exit of the forest was, but you've always continued walking through it. You've had faith that the route would reveal itself when it was time for it to be revealed. And even in the times when you took a step and there was a ditch, right? belief that that ditch was there as a jumping off point for some exciting new thing. I, honestly, like, I just, I appreciate you guys and respect. I, I just, I respect the work that you're doing. And I, I think it takes a very special person to decide that, Hey, I'm going to give my life to making a difference, even if it's going to be hard and unpredictable. And, you know, sometimes make it, make me have to go on a rant, you know, yeah. but you do it. <laughs> and I just, I dig that about you. So keep taking those steps forward. I am positive that what friend. next is, is going to reveal itself exactly when it's supposed to. Yeah. I believe that too. Thanks to you. I appreciate of that. Course. All right. For anyone who, uh, for whatever reason, lost their damn mind, uh, doesn't yet follow you, doesn't uh, <laughs> know how to dive deeper into all the things lucky few, where do you send people on the interwebs? Sure. So social media is a fun place to hang out. We do a lot on there, the lucky few official. And then if you head to the lucky um, you'll have, that will link you to any of the places you need to get to. And then heatheravis.com, which will also link you back to the lucky few. We are tightly interwoven. Excelente. Final question that I attempt to ask most humans that are on this show. If you could leave our listeners today with a single piece of advice, a thing that they need to hear today, something that might give them access to peace or motivation to move forward. What is the single thing that comes to your mind that these listeners need today? Okay. Uh, this is in line with the book. This is my favorite line in the book, Everyone Belongs. And the girls say it, the sisters say it numerous times. They say, exactly who you are is exactly who we pick. And today you are going to be inundated, whether blatantly so or otherwise, whether it's real obvious that you need to do more and be more than you are. And I just want you to take a moment to of gratitude, just that who you are exactly at this moment. It doesn't mean that there's not change. It doesn't mean that we can't work harder. That's, but that's not where our heads are. Who you are exactly at this moment is good. And just sit in that for a minute, breathe that in for a minute. Exactly who you are is exactly who we pick. You don't need to do more or be more. You are a good beautiful, adored, loved human, just as you are. Ladies and gentlemen, please remove your hats. <laughs> take, a, take a stand out of that chair and uh, appreciate Miss Heather Avis. Heather, that was beautiful. I love it. Between now and next week, if uh, you got anything from this podcast, would you do Heather and I a favor? Take a picture of it on the device that you're listening to. Tag at the Lucky Few official. Tag me, Mr. Dave Hollis. Tell uh, tell all the friends you got there on the interwebs what you uh, thought was awesome about Heather today. Tell them about Everyone Belongs. It's out in stores as of Tuesday. 
And uh, we'll see you next week on the Rise Together podcast. I hope that between now and then, you can appreciate uh, that we pick you just as you are. (laughs) We'll see you next Thursday, friends. Thank you, Heather. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, everyone. Hey, y'all. While I am taking a hiatus from social media, I'd still love to stay connected to you on the regular. If you head over to MrDaveHollis.com, I have an opportunity for us to become one-way pen pals. Yep, I'm going to be sending out regular updates, uh, stories, uh, observations, hopefully things that will also make you laugh or think. Uh, And I'd love to be able to do that on the reg. So if you uh, are so inclined, hit MrDaveHollis.com, drop in your email, and buckle on up. I love you all. Thank you for all the continued support. Let's go.